Hey everyone, welcome to Rolling Hills Online. Wherever you are in the world, we're glad that you're joining us today. In addition to our online campus, we have two physical locations in Franklin and Nolensville. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you in person. If this is your first time joining us, we would like to invite you to check out our new here page at rollinghillscommunity.org. Here, you can find out more about who we are, what we believe, and what to expect when worshiping with us. If you've been with us before and want to find out how to get involved, please visit our Next Steps page. This is where you can learn more about baptism, partnership, missions, community groups, and more. If you're joining us live, we encourage you to jump into our chat. This is a great way to connect with our online community and further discuss today's message. In addition to the chat feature, you will find today's sermon notes and a link to the Bible so that you can follow along. Have something that you would like for us to pray with you about? Click the prayer request link at the bottom of the page. We would be honored to join you in prayer this week. If you feel called to partner with us financially, you can give online through the giving page of our website. Your support allows us to continue this opportunity to share the message of Christ around the world. So thank you. Again, welcome to Rolling Hills. We hope that you feel at home. Church, good morning. I'm excited about today. Great worship time this morning. And this morning we come to the conclusion of a really amazing series. We've been in this series called For Every Season. And we've been walking through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. That's a book that not a lot of people, you know, study a lot. But man, how deep and rich and good it is and how relevant it is for the day and time in which we live. Now, we started this series by saying that there are four questions that every person who has ever lived has asked. There's four questions that every person who's ever lived has wrestled with these questions. And the first one is this, is who is God? Who is God, right? I mean, every civilization that's ever existed has had some form of worship. And and people want to know, I mean, who is God? What's he like? I mean, is he a God of love? Is he a God who sets the world in motion and steps back? And says, hey, figure it out. I mean, is he active, involved? Who is God? Number two is this, is why am I here? Every person has had to ask that question. Why am I here? Because there's nobody in the world exactly like me. I am unique and I am different. And so why am I here? You know, how do I relate to this God? The third question is, what is the purpose of it all? I mean, what is the purpose? I mean, we see the solar system, we see digestive system, we see all of the order. And what is the purpose? What is the greater story that's being written? And the fourth question is this, is, is where do I fit? Right? What, is, what do I contribute? What difference can I make? What legacy will I leave? And, and these are questions that every civilization has wrestled with, Right? And these philosophical and theological questions and every scholar and, you know, great thinker has entered into this stadium to say, what is it all about? And so Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and in the book of Ecclesiastes, he calls himself the teacher. Solomon was the wisest and wealthiest man that ever lived. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? The wisest and wealthiest man that ever lived lived. I mean, a lot of people go and pay a lot of money to hear Warren Buffett or Bill Gates 
And, and yet this guy was wealthier than both of them combined. I mean, people go to hear, you know, former presidents or other people who rule in different lands. This guy ruled nations. I mean, he was huge. He was important. Wisest, wealthiest man that ever lived. And yet, when he gets to the end of his life, when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, he actually looks back on his life with regret. He lived a life of regret. And to me, Solomon is one of the most disappointing people in all of Scripture. Because the guy started off strong, right? His dad was King David. His dad was a man after God's heart. He passed it on to Solomon. Solomon starts out well. He's going to church. He helps build the temple. And then he gets caught up in all the things of the world. And he starts running after the things of this world. And he turns his back on God. And he gets to the end of his life after living all these years and doing all this stuff in this world. And he goes, I missed it. I've blown it. Then chapter 1 and 2, he says it was all meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And in chapter 3, he talks about there's a time to be born and a time to die. And, and I missed that part. I missed God's sovereignty over everything. I missed God's timing over what is happening in the world. I missed it. And in chapter 4, he talked about the need for a community. And he finds himself at the end of his days missing out on godly community and missing out on people who really loved him and cared about him. And here he is, a guy, old, looking back and saying, you don't miss it. Don't do what I did. Don't live this way. You live your life for what matters. And so the book of Ecclesiastes just calls out to us through the generations and saying, you and I, we get one shot at this life, one opportunity. Make the most of it. Live your life for what matters. And today we're going to see in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon says, here's the conclusion of the matter. I'm going to tell you what it is, but before we get there, let's look at Ecclesiastes 6. So if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you to open with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, which is all wisdom literature in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament back there, so if you want to turn back there, or maybe you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures as well, or we'll put the scripture on the screen. Um, but follow along here, because this is so important, I think, for all of us to hear today. When you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, Solomon comes to this point and he says, Guys, I want to tell you, I've, I've invested my life in four things. Three of them we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon says, I ran my life after pleasure. After pleasure. And he did. I mean, the guy had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Okay, I mean, the guy said, you know, there wasn't anything I withheld, anything I desired. I didn't hold back. So, I mean, just you can imagine what he did and all the things he did with whoever he did. But he went after pleasure, right? The second thing he says in Ecclesiastes 2 that he went after was he went after knowledge. And he did, man. He studied everything that was out there. He wanted to learn as much as he possibly could. But it became a self-fulfilling prophecy for him. It was all about knowledge, I mean, he was so popular in his knowledge that people came from all over, the Queen of Sheba and others, to listen to him. And the third thing he poured his heart and life into was work. Work. And he did. I mean, the, the guy was an incredible builder. I mean, he built fortresses and palaces. He conquered other nations. He built, you know, huge stables. And I mean, this guy built it all. 
And he says in chapter 2, it was all meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And then he comes to chapter 6, and he said, here's the fourth thing that I poured my heart and my life into, and I regret it. And he says, I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, (laughs) possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but God does not enable him to enjoy them And a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. So Solomon says, here's the fourth thing I ran after. I ran after wealth. I ran after wealth. It sounds like our world and our country today, right? I mean, I went after it hard. I wanted more and more and more wealth. And he says in verse 2, right, I kind of forgot, but God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor. So that he lacks nothing his heart desires. He says, I went after the wealth, but I forgot about it. It was God who gave it to me. Now, money's not a bad thing. In and of itself, money is not bad. In fact, money can be used for a lot of good. I mean, it was the Queen of England, I think, who once said, you know, we wouldn't have the story of the Good Samaritan if the Good Samaritan didn't have coin. You know, I mean, taking, hey, I'm going to take care of this guy, put him in the the hotel, you know, and bandage his wounds. And you could do a lot, a lot of good with money. But the challenge is this, is that wealth can so easily become our God, little g. And we could spend all of our time trying to amass wealth that we miss the big things of life. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and and they're just working, trying to get their career going. And they're working, working, working all the time. And, and, and I go like, well, what's your motivation? What are you working for? Well, I just can't wait. I'm going to work so hard that, that I can have, you know, all this vacation. And I'm going to have all this money. And then I'm going to be able to spend time with my family. Really? Because the years come. And the years go. And that family grows up. And they move away. Well, you're over here trying to amass more and more and more stuff. And I think Solomon comes back and says, hey, guys, don't miss it. Jesus told a parable. It's a parable we've talked about before, right? He said a, a, a man went out to, to sow his seed. A man went out, a farmer, to, to sow the seed. And, and Jesus goes, I, I'm the farmer, and I, I'm sowing the seed, and the seed is the word of God. And and the Word of God, it, sometimes it falls on a, on a heart that's hard. We all know that. Share the gospel, you tell somebody about what God's doing. And, and, and Jesus said, you know what, if it falls on a hard heart, the seed, it doesn't take root. And the devil comes and takes it away. He says, sometimes the, the Word of God, it's the seed and it falls on rocky soil. And it, it falls on a heart and, and people go, yeah, that, I like that, that makes sense. But, but then they kind of wither up and die because they don't have any roots. They don't go deep into the word of God. They don't get nourishment there, and so they die off. He says sometimes the word of God falls among thorns, and the word of God springs up quickly. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to follow God. I want to trust him. And then Jesus makes this interesting statement in Matthew chapter 13. He says, but the thorns, which are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, come and choke it out. And I just think, whoa, wow. 
But then Jesus said, some of the seed falls on a good heart, a good soul, and it grows up to yield a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. It makes a difference because it remembers where it all comes from. God is the one who gives. God is the one who has blessed. And he says, God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. And isn't that true for all of us? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, so many times we'll walk into our closet and we'll go, I just have nothing to wear, right? But we got rows of clothes, right? Or our hardest decision is, what restaurant am I going to go to today? You know, we can't figure it out. We'll debate, you know, where am I going to go? We have so much, but God does not enable him to enjoy them. We have to make that decision to enjoy what God's given us. Just because God gave it to us doesn't mean that we're going to enjoy it. We can get wrapped up in it. We begin to worship it, and a stranger enjoys them instead. See, there's only three things that are eternal. Guys, there's only three things that are eternal. God, God's Word, and God's people. We can't take possessions with us. We can't take stuff with us. And although we try to amass more and more and more, we can't take it. And God's going, I want you to enjoy it. I have blessed you. I have blessed you richly. And man, we are blessed just by virtue of where we live in the United States. We're in the 95th percentile of the wealthiest people in the world. We have so much. But we have to remember not to fall in love with that and miss him. Who is the one who gives it? I heard a story recently about a, a couple in the, they got a large tax bill. And the husband goes to his wife. He says, honey, we got this large tax bill. He goes, I don't know how we're going to do it. I've been running the numbers and we're just not going to be able to tithe. We just, we're just going to have to stop tithing. We just can't do it. His wife looked at him and goes, no, we're going to tithe. He's like, no, you don't understand. Look at She's like, no, what I do understand is this, is that four years ago we were in this bind. God took care of us. And even before that, God took care of us. Even before that, we're going to give our first 10% to God. We're going to trust him. And the husband just said, you know what? She was more of a spiritual leader than I was right there. And I'm just looking at her. And the next day they find out that the accountant made a mistake and it was really only going to be about a fourth of what they thought. See, it doesn't happen all the time that way. But listen, God is the one who gives, right? And for us to forget about that is for us then to make wealth and money and possessions our God. And it so easily happens even today. Why? Because money is the chief competitor for our heart. Money is the chief competitor for our heart. Do you realize, I saw a statistic, that 70% of self-proclaimed evangelicals in the United States of America last year gave zero to God's work in the church. Zero, zilch, nothing. Nada. Not one dime. Why? It's because we fall for the same lie that Solomon fell for. We fall in love with the stuff, with the things, and we forget about the God who gives us all that we have. See, here's the thing about those pleasure and knowledge and work and wealth. Hey, if we don't handle this properly, they will take control of us. See, pleasure always leaves you wanting more, doesn't it? You want more, 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 more. It never stops. That's why the pornography industry is so huge. Because guys, I mean, really, it doesn't stop. And here's a guy who says, I lived it, man. And it didn't satisfy 
And it's meaningless. You, you, knowledge, man, I love learning. I love learning. I, love, I do, I do, I do. But do you realize that like Harvard and Yale and many of the Ivy League schools were started by Christians? They were started by Christ followers. But what happened? Knowledge turned in on itself, right? It became this self-fulfilling prophecy, secular humanism. It's about what I know, more and more about me, my intellect. And it just went away from the Lord. It turned its back on the Lord. Work could do the same thing. We work, we work, we work. And we don't put any boundaries in there to say, no, 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 i got to protect this time so that I have time for what really matters. I mean, work was given before the fall. God gave us work to do. We get fulfillment from there, but it can ruin us as well. And then wealth. And I think if we don't put some boundaries around it to say, wait a minute, God, it's all about you. And here's the thing that happened with Solomon. He realizes at the end of his life, he realizes as he looks back and he's amassed all this stuff and he realizes, I can't take it with me. I'm going to die. What was it all about? I totally missed it. But he left a legacy of living for the things of this world that impacted an entire nation. So much so that the people who came after him continued to follow after pleasure. His kids, Rehoboam and others, took the mantle that Solomon gave them and went after pleasure and went after knowledge, went after work and went after wealth. And the nation just eroded away. So much so that the northern kingdom, because the kingdom was divided, the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. because they turned their back on the God who is the one who gave it all to them in the first place. And God begins to warn the people. And he says in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God says years later, he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You know what God says? God's going, listen, guys, you've missed it. When we were in Israel back in October, we, we toured a lot of cisterns, okay? We went to a lot of cisterns because cisterns back in the ancient world, I mean, that was the precious commodity of that day. You wanted water. And, and people would take the stream and they would run it into the cistern and then they would plaster the cistern and they would spend all their time taking care of the cistern, right? And, and the problem was, though, if the cistern got a crack in it, the water was going to leak out. If the cistern also got any light in it, the cistern would be ruined because of the algae that would come in to the cistern. So they put guards around it and they did everything they could to take care of their cistern and build bigger cisterns. But when we went and toured the cisterns, the cisterns were empty today, but the stream of water was still flowing. Thousands of years later, the water is still coming and the cistern is broken and empty. And we do the exact same thing. We think I can just build a bigger cistern, right? If I could just amass more money and more stuff and more possessions, and then I've got to protect it all. I've got to get insurance. I've got to have a broker, and I've got to have lawyers, and I've got to have, and then I need to build something bigger that way. And all the while, we are turning our back on the one who gave it to us all in the first place. And God's going, I've given you to enjoy it, but don't fall in love with the gifts and miss the giver. Don't fall in love with the gifts and miss the giver. 
God, I don't have time to spend with you because I'm doing all of this. God, I can't get my kids to church because I've got all of this. And God, I know, I know, I know I need to serve and I need to give back. But God, I've got all of this. Do you realize we're the first nation that's ever existed who have built storage units to store our stuff and protect our stuff, the stuff we don't even use? But we build bigger cisterns. And Solomon calls to us from Ecclesiastes and from generations before going, listen, you're never going to have enough, as much money as I do. I mean, Solomon, I mean, wealthy as Bill Gates and Warren Buffett combined, I mean, you're never going to have enough money, as much money as I do. You're never going to have as much stuff as I do. And, and listen, I'm going to tell you, don't miss it, please. Please, please, please. Enjoy those things, but, but don't miss the one who gave it to you. Don't fall in love with the gifts and miss the giver, please. So Solomon says to the people, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and he comes back in verse 7 and says, Guys, I want you to get this. I want you to understand it. It is God who gives everything And he says, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. And for all of us just to be thankful that we have what we have and that God has given us so much. But then Solomon says in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, guys, please, I'm looking back on my life and I'm just going to tell you, remember your creator. (laughs) It's like Solomon is speaking to his millennial generation and he's saying, guys, listen, I'm old. I've been there. I've done that. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. He's like, use it wisely and use it for the glory of God. Invest your life in what matters And then he comes to chapter 12, verse 13. And maybe you have a title there that says the conclusion of the matter. He just says, now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He goes, fear God. Fear means to honor and to respect God. Honor God. Keep him first in your life. Keep him as the priority. Keep him as the joy of your heart. Honor and respect God and keep his commandments. You know, sometimes people look at the commandments and they go, man, I mean, God is a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want us to have any fun. And God's going, no, I want you to have a great life. That's why I'm telling you don't steal, right? Don't cheat on your taxes. I mean, don't don't do that. That's why I'm telling you, don't commit adultery. It will ruin you. It will ruin your family. It will have huge implications. Don't do that. Why? Because God's going, I want you to enjoy life. Just do it my way. Just trust me. I am the stream of living water. Hold on to me. And Solomon concludes Ecclesiastes with these words, For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. He just says, listen, God's going to judge your heart. Solomon, at the end of his life, just says, hey, he's going to judge not only what you did, but why you did it. Look at your heart. Look at your motivations. Look at the way you're living. 
Look at what you're worshiping and hold on to God. As many of you know, I, I just returned recently from uh, the Amazon jungle. Uh, we do a pastor's conference there in the Amazon every year. And so I got back last Saturday, in, uh, so eight days. And it was just uh, eight days ago, and it was incredible to be there. Uh, we first went as a church on a mission trip uh, about eight years ago to the Amazon. And there was a guy in England named John Pacalabo. And John Pacalabo, uh, he was a rocker. The dude, like, he opened for the Beatles. I mean, you know, he made a lot of money. He, he just was kind of a big deal in the music world in London back in his day. And then when he was in his 30s, he gave his life to Christ. And he said, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And it just has radical transformation. And, and like many of you, you know, you just kind of live for the world. And then you go, hey, wait a minute, that's meaningless. And then I'm going to give my life to Christ. And this is the redemption and grace. And so John gives his life to Christ, and he says, okay, God's given me a platform. He's given me these things. What can I do for the glory of God? So he, he started this Kingsway music. And you've probably heard of people like maybe Matt Redman or Stuart Townend or In Christ Alone, and all this music, this worship music that started coming out of England. Well, that's John Pacalaba. Well, when he gets to be 55, he tells his wife, Juliet, he says, Juliet, you know, we've made a lot of money. We've done well. Let's buy a villa in Spain. We'll spend half the year, he loved to play golf, we'll play golf in Spain, and then we'll spend half the year in London. That same year, he went down the Amazon. And he's on a boat going down the Amazon, and he looks over, and there's a dilapidated building over there with about 150 kids all crowded in, and it's 120 degrees outside. And he says to the guide, what is that? And she said, that's a school. He said, that's not a school. That's not a school. And he called Juliet, his wife, and said, sell the villa, we're investing here. And so for the next 10 years of his life, he built 15 schools in different villages along the Amazon. He built a community center that services about 29 villages. He bought a boat to take people up and down the Amazon. Four years ago, we got a call, and John said, um, I've got stomach cancer. Can you guys come over and meet with me? And so Steve Davis, our missions pastor, and Mary Catherine Hunter, executive director of Justice and Mercy International, which is our international mission arm here at Rolling Hills, Kelly Minter and myself, we flew over and we met with John. And when we got to his house, he was in a hospital bed and he had his whole family there, right? His children, his grandchildren, he had Kingsway board here. And he said... I want my legacy to be what I did for the poor and the forgotten of the Amazon. And I want you guys to carry it on. So essentially for the next three hours, he just handed over 15 schools and a community center and a boat all over to JMI and to what we do, Rolling Hills in the Amazon. After about three hours, he was exhausted. He closed his eyes. The next day, he opened his eyes and looked at his wife, Juliet, and he said, Juliet, I love you. And he closed his eyes and went home to be with Jesus. And so for the last few years, we've been going down to the Amazon and using this community center to do a pastor's conference. And pastors come from all over. There was one pastor who takes him nine days by canoe to get to the pastor's conference. You thought you had a long drive today, huh? I mean, this guy's still rowing, man. He's not even going to get home till tomorrow. They come with their wives because this is the only time they get away. 
And they come and they bring this incredible joy. There is just this joy that comes. And they, they come and they bound up the stairs. They're so excited about what God's doing in their life. They're so excited about what's happening in their village. And they're so excited about what's happening around them. And they just start telling stories. And, and they tell us these amazing stories. And this one pastor, right, he, he preaches on Sunday. And then he walks a mile and a half to another village. He walks through the jungle right, snakes and everything, through the jungle to another village where he preaches there in the afternoon. Then he walks another mile and a half through the jungle and he preaches there and he's just telling us about all these people who are coming to know Jesus and and what's happening there in their village and he's beaming from ear to ear. There's another pastor, this missionary, and I said, how can I pray for you? And she said, hey, just pray I live longer so that more people can hear about Jesus. I just love what God's doing. There's this one pastor, Sebastian. I said, how can I pray for you? He said, I'm the first one in my family to give my life to Christ. And he said, I have 13 brothers and sisters, and eight of them have given their lives to Christ, but I still have five who haven't. Please pray for them. I'm doing great. Just pray for them. There's this pastor, Walter, in Simonea, and they're in this little village, and in the Amazon, and they came last year. They had 15 people in their church, and they were taking notes on everything we were talking about. They were just writing it down about discipleship and growing. And they came this year. They're like, Pastor Jeff, we have 70 people who are coming to our church, and they're just people whose lives are being changed. I mean, they're smiling. They're just rejoicing. There was this one pastor. We used mission aviation, and we got a plane, and we flew it to the Perus River, which is really far away. The first time these pastors have ever been on a plane, it's a six-seater, and they, it lands on the water, and they got on this plane, and they came to the conference, and this pastor was so excited, but he goes, I can't read or write. He goes, am I going to be able to learn? We're like, oh, yeah, and his wife can read or write, and one of the days, we said, hey, we want you guys to write a letter to your wife, and he came up to our national director, and he said, what am I supposed to do? I've always wanted to write something to her, but I can't. And our national director said, well, here, I'll write it for you. And she took the card. She said, Pastor, what do you want to say? And he said, tell my wife she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Tell my wife how much I love her. Just write how much she means to me. And she's writing this card, and the national director's crying, you know. His pastor's so excited, he hands it to his wife, and they're just hugging. He's like, I've never been able to give her a card. Talked to this one pastor and his wife, and and they were so excited because they had a two-room house, two-room house there in the Amazon. And they said, we had so many people coming, and the church meets in our house that we tore the wall down in our house so that we could get more people in to be at church. I'm just like, Wow. I mean, these people inspire me because by the world standards, they have nothing. I mean, literally, they're borrowing clothes from people in their village, you know, that have nicer clothes that come to the conference. By the world standards, they have nothing. And yet by God's standards, they've got everything. And I come back and I, and I look online and I read the stories and I look at USA Today and I watch the news and I see even in our own country with all this wealth and all this opulence and everything we have and the anger and the worry and the fear and the hate and I just go, oh my, God, don't let us fall for it. God is not about the gifts. It's about you, the giver. So, Father God, let me be in tune with you because joy comes when I'm walking with you. Joy comes in my life and in my heart and in my marriage and in my family and in my workplace when I understand it's all about you.
And I would say for all of us, oh, please, 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 let's heed what Solomon would say. Or what the Apostle Paul would say, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Because that's not the world we live in. But that's what he desires. You know, several hundred years after Solomon, there were some other wise men. And they were living over in Persia. And they were comfortable in their life, man. They had, you know, the success. They were magi. They had money. They had wealth. They had slaves back then. But they saw a star in the east. And they knew that something bigger was happening. And they said, I'm going to leave all this to travel 800 miles because I want to go and see Jesus. I want to be a part of the greater story of what God's doing in the world. I don't want to miss it and just be comfortable and live in the opulence and miss out on the bigger picture. And they came and they brought gifts and they laid it there at the manger. And God used those gifts for his glory. And it says that the Magi, they returned home a different way. They went home different because they had been in the presence of God. What about you? What about me? See, all of creation is trying to get our attention, right? In every season, we see Jesus. In the fall, we, we see Jesus as we think about the leaves falling off the tree and Jesus giving everything for us, pouring his heart out, his ministry, his teaching. In the winter, we see Jesus and we're reminded of his death and he died for our sins and for our transgressions. He was dead in the tomb, but in the spring we're reminded that Jesus is alive, that there is new birth, that death couldn't keep Jesus in the ground. Oh no, Jesus is alive, and summer reminds us that he reigns eternal, that he is the bright and morning star, that he is supreme and sovereign over all that there is. Everything in all creation, everything in scripture is pointing us to say, there is a God who loves you. And a God who is drawing you to himself. Are you going to spend your time just building your own cistern? Or are you going to drink deeply from the living water? And hold on to him with everything you have. I don't know what season you're in today. Maybe you're in a season of life when there's worry or there's fear, there's anxiety. I want to tell you, God is here. Maybe you're in a series, season of plenty and you are so thankful for what God's doing in your life and you're so grateful. And I want to tell you, God's here. Just say thank you, but also don't get comfortable. Maybe you're in a season of day where you just need to say, God, you're enough. Is God enough for you? Is God enough for you? If there's a crack in the cistern or the 401k or flat tire on the car, is God enough for you? Does your joy come in this or does your joy come in him? Hey everyone, thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the service and we want to encourage you to reflect on today's message throughout the week. Here at Rolling Hills, our goal is to raise up a community of disciples to be the hands and feet of Christ, and we hope that you will partner with us in doing so. How do you do that? Well, here are several ways. 
First, join us every Sunday, either online or at one of our physical locations. Join us as we worship our God and learn more about Him and His plan for us. Second, get connected. Check out our Next Steps page on the site to find out how you can engage with us further by serving or joining a community group. And lastly, we want to invite you to partner with us financially. You can do that online through the giving section of our site. All tithes and offerings go to support our ministries both locally and internationally, enabling us to impact lives and share God's Word. Again, we are so glad you joined us today. Have a great week.